This is Isolated Together, a pandemic podcast by Quinnipiac University. I'm David DeRoche. For Episode 9 of Isolated Together, guest host Vince Contrucci interviews Carlos Colazzo. He's the executive director of the Albrecht Boys and Girls Club. They talk about how his team transitioned the club's services to a virtual space, which is no small feat for an organization that helps hundreds of families every year. This is Isolated Together. Stick around for information on our next episode. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the Isolated Together podcast. I am one of your hosts, Vince Conherchi, Director of Community Service at Quinnipiac University. With me today is Carlos Calazzo, the Executive Director of the Ulbrich Boys and Girls Club in Wallingford. Thank you for joining me today, Carlos. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well under the circumstances. Yes. <laughs> I imagine that uh, with the shutdown and the pandemic that it's caused a lot of disruption in your life and in what you do at the, at the club. And I was wondering if, you know, you could explain a little bit what your role is uh, with the Boys and Girls Club and maybe for our listeners who aren't familiar with Boys and Girls Clubs, uh, what they do and what they offer to the community. Sure. No, no problem. We've been in the community for the past 56 years. Just recently, in the past two years, we've we've grown. We've, we've expanded into North Haven. Uh, we serve youth from the age of six all the way up to 18. Our three key priority areas are academic success, character and leadership development, sports, fitness, and recreation. And we're predominantly an after-school program, but we do offer AM care to our uh, working families that need that additional time in the mornings where we provide kids with a hot breakfast in the morning and uh, we then send them off to school. I know that you've been involved with Boys and Girls Clubs for, I think, the majority of your life. Can, can you tell us a little bit about, about, you know, how you came to be an executive director at a Boys and Girls Club? I'm what you call, you know, your, your club rat. I'm a club alumni, Boys and Girls Clubs in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and, you know, attended the club since the age of six, seven, around there. I had a, an actual Boys and Girls Club right around the corner from where I lived in the north end of Bridgeport. It has since been knocked down. Uh, Good news is uh, the Wakeman Boys and Girls Club from Southport is looking into uh, building a brand new Boys and Girls Club on that same site, on on that same location. So I'm, I'm excited, I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, so I came up to the Boys and Girls Clubs um, and then when I was in high school, I was also an artist, a graffiti artist, and I did murals, you know, for depending on, on the circumstances, either I would be comp- compensated for murals or I would just, you know, do them for, say, a nonprofit like the Boys and Girls Club. And because I had such close ties and the Boys and Girls Club was so impactful in my life, the executive director at the time asked me if I wanted to you know, do a mural on the side of the building in the North End. And from there, he offered me a, a job to do arts and crafts. From arts and crafts, I ended up working every position you can imagine through the club where, you know, I became a lifeguard, was, a, you know, a sports director, a unit director, 
area direct, I mean, you name it. And so from there, I ended up moving on and there was an opportunity in Reading, Easton, Connecticut as a director of operations. I was then promoted to executive director and was executive director for eight years. And that's where I kind of learned, you know, like the inner workings of the Boys and Girls Club. Because, you know, as, as a youth development professional, you come in, they ask you to do a job, you go in and you do the job. Um, but when you're in charge of the organization, it's a whole different, you know, monster uh, because you're, you're dealing with a board of directors, you know, and, and your board of directors, they don't get paid. They're volunteers, right? So yep. there's a fine line on learning how to work with them, how to manage them, understanding that they are your bosses, plural, and that, um, you know, there's a bigger agenda at the table. So I learned how to, you know, work with board of directors. They were, they were great. It was a great board of directors. They understood I was young. They understood that, um, you know, I was kind of in the learning stages and really took me under their wing, mentored me and, I learned a lot. I learned a lot at that organization. So from there, I ended up coming closer to home. I, I kind of missed the inner city. I was looking for an opportunity to uh, not only come closer to home, work in an inner city, but also build up my experience in working with the inner city, learning how to work with grants and also the community. Uh, so I accepted a position at the Boys and Girls Club in New Haven, which is where you and I met, uh, Vincent, mm-hmm. as Director of Program Services and Operations. Quite a big title. It was a bigger organization. It, it was definitely something I can handle, but it, there were more responsibilities. And so at that location, uh, I was able to really learn how to work with the community, build up our volunteer program, build up our rapport and our relationships with the uh local universities and colleges. And I was there for about four years. And during that time, my position evolved from programs and operations to operations. And uh, we, we made a conscious decision to uh, promote within one of our staff to oversee programs so I can focus more on operations um, and held on to the mentoring program at that time. Yeah. So while I was overseeing mentoring, I was also in charge of a big, you know, it was a little over $200,000 um, block grant project where, you know, before I left that organization, I left it, the, the, the main site, brand new from Florida. Yeah. I mean, the whole, the whole site was, was redone. And um, now I'm back as an executive director in Wallingford, and that's where I am now. How many youth do you serve at the, the Wallingford Boys and Girls Club? We serve a little over 800 youth annually. That number has probably grown a little bit because of our expansion into uh, North Haven. And from those numbers, that's the total youth serve. But we do see roughly about, I want to say that about 180 to 200 youth daily at our sites. That's incredible. So from your perspective, you know, as executive director with a Boys and Girls Club, you know, you don't necessarily have a PR department and a marketing department, finding, you know, all that. And you're doing all of that. And when you're, you know, when you're speaking to the community about what Boys and Girls Clubs offer to a community, what they provide to youth, 
you know, what what is your pitch? What, what are you focusing on when you're trying to describe to people, you know, what the importance of of this organization is and what it does for you? Yeah, great question. Um, we are, as I mentioned, a stable in the community. We play an important role in the community, adapting and evolving uh, to support the kids and the families that we serve is probably a big strength of ours. You know, when when you think about a Boys and Girls Club or when someone mentions Boys and Girls Clubs and uh, the community isn't aware about what they do, sometimes they're pleasantly surprised when they come into the organization and they see all of the things that are happening. You know, an example of that is, uh, you know, in North Haven, when we first talked about opening up a site, the community thought that we were opening up a location in North Haven to bring in kids from New Haven, right? Because a lot of the, you know, most of the community in North Haven, there was no Boys and Girls Club. So all they knew about Boys and Girls Clubs was that, you know, we provide services for those that need us most. And for the most part, uh, you know, a lot of people think that those that need us most are, um, you know, families that are low income, you know, can't really afford an after school program. So the Boys and Girls Club is the only alternative. Uh, And, you know, we had to really break that mindset for the families in North Haven, uh, first and foremost, because we were not opening up the location for anyone outside of North Haven. We knew that North Haven families needed us. Haven families did not have any alternatives outside of the YMCA at the time. So we were able to put together a program that was not only affordable, but also had a focus on academics, character and leadership development, sports, fitness, and recreation, the arts, you know, things of that nature, mentoring, you know, tutoring the kids. All of these things are uh, and or programs are, are, are programs that we run on a daily on a daily basis. You know, there's a schedule that we follow. So with the offerings that you mentioned, you know, um, like the the, t- the tutoring, uh, the mentorship, kind of that you know that large scale um, after school program, and with the COVID nineteen and the pandemic and the schools closing, uh, how have you had to transition the services that you offer for families, and how have you managed that uh, as a club? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, tough times. I mean, you know, you, you don't, there's no way to prepare for a pandemic. In my lifetime, this is the first and hopefully the only one that will ever happen. I believe we stepped right in and, and kind of got to work. We knew that first and foremost, I personally had to work with my treasurer to figure out what our finances were going to look like because we weren't, on March 3rd, we thought, you know, three weeks from now, it'll all be over. We'll be, you know, we'll open back up and, you know, it, it, it'll all be past us. We kind of put together a 30-day plan, you know. Okay. Uh, what, what I did was I, I sat my full-time staff and we just talked about what our next 30 days were going to look like. And the first topic of discussion was, of course, our kids, the youth that yeah. we saw. What are we going to provide 
kids that we serve. And so we came up with a, you know, we called it the virtual club experience. And so once we came up with the idea, we needed to figure out how many staff part-timers were we going to keep on board. So we reached out to our all of our part-time staff and asked them if they were available for specific times. And we ended up, of our nine, 18 staff members, nine, half of the staff were willing to come in and work. And we then came up with uh, an idea to break up the staff into three different groups, right, to provide this virtual club experience. We were going to cover healthy lifestyles, so health and fitness. We were going to cover the arts. And um, the other topic that we ended up covering was we started with academics, but we knew deep in my heart, I felt, you know, homework assistance, academics may not be something the kids want to do right now, especially with something so brand new. But we did start with and they got to work. They ended up putting together, they not only built a website through Google, Google Sites, they created content right away and um, were preparing to build content for every week. So that was the good news. <laughs> so, so then we find out that, you know, this pandemic is probably going to be run up until you know, the end of May. So at that point in time, we knew that we weren't going to be able to hold on to our part-time staff. And in order to give them a chance to begin to collect through unemployment, we needed to send them, you know, off to unemployment sooner than sooner rather than later. So unfortunately, a week after we started put all our virtual programming together and and, and all that good stuff, we, we had to make the hard decision. I had to make the hard decision and let the part-time staff know that as of such and such a date, you know, they, we will send them off to unemployment just to be fair to them. At that point, my full-time staff stood on, on board and they ended up taking on the responsibility of maintaining the virtual club experience, website, so on and so forth. My resource development and marketing officer was focused on trying to identify ways to not only raise money, but maybe apply for grants and begin to identify some emergency relief funding. And then my responsibility was to um, begin to work on the loans that were starting to become available. You know, one of the things that, you know, we're seeing particularly in higher education uh, as a desire for, you know, students uh, asking for refunds for housing, uh, for this and that. And then, you know, with arts organizations who had, you know, upcoming performances and plays having to refund ticket costs. And, you know, what some people probably don't know is that, you know, the club operates uh, based, you know, upon like a subscription um, model where um, families essentially uh, subscribe, you know, to while well, they pay a certain fee for their uh, kids to be able to access club services. Um, and I know that isn't, doesn't make up the entire amount of, you know, all of the costs associated with running a club. But, you know, have you seen anything like that where, where parents are, are requesting like a return or a refund? So with the Boys and Girls Club, during the after school year, there's a fee of $135, which pretty much cuts 
it covers the time that they're at the club and participating in activities. So no one really requested a refund for that. However, we opened up registration for summer camp February 1st. And, you know, keep in mind, we now, we weren't only opening registration for one site. We were opening it up this year for two sites. So fortunately, we were ahead of the game. We got our registrations formed, all set, ready to go. Our website was ready. Uh, and we kicked off summer camp registrations February 1st. By March 13th, we've already collected a little over $65,000 in summer camp funding. Mm. At that point in time, you know, in working with my treasurer, we had to make a decision as to what we were going to do with that revenue. So we ended up deferring that revenue. And when we did our uh, cash flow analysis, that amount was, again, deferred. And we didn't depend on that for, for any uh, operating expenses because we were not sure. You know, every week, you know, with the pandemic, things were changing. So we, we weren't sure whether or not summer camp was going to run. So we needed to make sure that that money was put to the side. Yeah. Um, we are prepared to refund if, in fact, we don't run a summer program. As of this moment, our plans are to move forward with our summer program. We run an eight-week summer program starting last week in June, and it runs through the second week in August. And, you know, full-on summer camp. We run it from 8 a.m. till 5 p.m. And if you need a.m. care services or p.m. care services, we open up at uh, 7 a.m. and we close at 6. So with that said, we are urging, as of this moment, about 70 kids per week at both locations. Our targeted goal for Wallingford was uh, 125, and in North Haven, we're pretty much at capacity. 70 is the number that we can... Uh, so, for your summer camp program. For our summer camp program. Yeah. And I'm not knowing whether or not we can run a summer program, we shut registrations down right now, just in case we, we aren't able to take on additional our kids because... I'm sure there are going to be policies and procedures in place that will not allow for us to keep as many kids as we once had in the building due to the pandemic. Because with your summer camp, uh, you know, they do have an outdoor space and all that stuff. But, you know, and thinking about weather and having to go inside the building, yeah, keeping social distance, uh, you know, with kids particularly would be difficult. Uh, and speaking about, you know, your club members, you know, kids are very uh, used to schedules and, you know, a normalcy and pattern in life. And that, you know, this has to, you know, has been a real disruption for everybody. But uh, what are you hearing from the club members about how this is affecting them and, you know, their thoughts about their lives? Yeah, well, you know, one thing's for sure. After this pandemic, our families will need us now more than ever before. We need to help them transition from quarantine to a sense of normalcy, as, as you know, but also providing that sense of normalcy in a safe, you know, environment. And I, I think for us, we thrive under those, those circumstances. So if and when the state opens up, we will be in a good place to provide that, those services. The kids are struggling, you know, I mean, 
to not be able to socialize like they once did, to not be able to go visit a friend. I think it's been really difficult for our families. Unfortunately for us, because we've had to cut back on our staff, it hasn't allowed us to stay in contact with our kids as much as we would have liked. However, it's looking like next week we will be able to bring some staff back due to the SBA PPP loan. Can you break that out for me? What's SBA PPP? Yeah, what is that? Yeah, sure. So um, the government ended up through the uh, Small Business Administration. Uh, They were allowing small businesses to apply for loans. It's a payroll protection program. So that's what the PPP stands for. And um, as an organization, you would apply for this funding and there's a potential for it to be forgiven, you know, within six months or so. So um, we applied for it when it first came out. We did not receive funding the first wave, the, you know, when they were first given out the money. But this last wave of uh, funding, we were fortunate to receive some, some of that funding. We didn't get everything that we asked for, but I think, you know, with a month past, I don't think we're going to need as much funding to uh, keep the employees on. But, you know, next week, we're going to be able to bring our staff back on and kind of bring some of that sense of normalcy back. We've taken advantage of this time at the club and redid our floors. Uh, we redid our kitchen. These were projects that we were planning on doing in June. But because we had the available time, our contractors were available, which most of it was at no cost to us. Our, our floors were donated. Cabinets were, most of the money was already raised, and then we had a private donor um, that, that covered the expenses, so it didn't have to come out of operating expenses. So when the kids come back, they're going to see a brand new facility, which is, which is going to be an awesome thing for them. That's awesome. You know, there's, I, in talking with, um, you know, other partners, they, you know, every one of them has kind of identified, you know, there has been some type of silver lining that they've been able to capitalize upon this opportunity, you know, either with, you know, adjusting the way in which they're working with clients or serving the needs of the community, or even, you know, those backlogs of kind of, you know, just general maintenance and doodads and stuff like that. So that's, that's pretty awesome. What is one thing maybe that you've learned or a new, something new that you've brought to the club as a result of the pandemic? I know you just talked about you know, those deferred maintenance things, but, you know, you, and you were talking about um, adjusting to an online format. Is maybe there's something that you think that you're going to keep after this pandemic is over? Uh, yeah, good question. One thing that I appreciated during this time was my relationship with my board members. It really gave me an opportunity to stay connected a lot more than in the past, right? Because when mm. things are going well, Things are going well, right? No one, you're really not, most of your board members, you know, if if you need them, you reach out. And so, and and through that relationship, identify ways to improve and become more efficient. Expenses that we probably don't really need to have in our budget. Creating a new way to look at our budget. We're, we're coming into our fiscal year, right? So we need to 
put together our operating budget for the new year, June to yeah. from from July to June. So already working on that. We've we've actually already done most of it because we had to go and put this whole cash analysis, you know, together. That whole exercise really helped us out. I think another thing is being resourceful and taking initiative was one thing that, um, fortunately for me, I've always kind of had um, as a strength and having the sense to kind of just take it easy and and know that things are going to be okay. I was able to really keep the organization kind of moving forward and not panic. You know, right away, you know, we got our program staff to start doing something virtually, which Boys and Girls Clubs of America appreciated and had us do a, a webinar last week on, which was the, that whole virtual club experience. So the process that I explained to you, uh, we were asked to explain that process to the Northeast region. So being able to do that, but while that was happening, I'm working with my resource development officer and my board to begin to look for grant opportunities, um, Mm -hmm. apply for those foundations that we didn't get to because other things were happening and events were happening, applying for, you know, those those type of uh, uh, funding opportunities. The Great Give is happening. This is probably the one and only chance for the Great Give to, for us to really take full advantage of the great game, meaning during this time we have special events happening, right? So in the past, we would need to figure out who are we going to approach for the great give? Who are we going to approach for our special events? Well, there are no special events. So all hands on deck, let's try to get anyone and everyone to support us through the great give. So there was a lot of marketing that went into that. A lot of searching for stories from our club alumni, from parents, from kids, and build up some support. So hopefully we'll have um, some pretty nice donations that would come in through the, through the great gift. Yeah. We're also looking at our individual donors as well. Now, Vincent, mm-hmm. if you've seen our great gift, make sure you click on it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in talking about, you know, telling your story, and, um, you know, reaching out to club alumni to really, you know, give a, a picture of, of how the club impacts and, and changes people's lives. What are different ways in which people in the general community can connect with the Ulbrich Boys and Girls Club in Wallingford and North Haven? So what are those social media outlets and sites that they could look at for additional information? So you can find the Ulbrich Boys and Girls Club on a number of platforms, Facebook, all you have to do is look up the Ulbrich Boys and Girls Club in Wallingford, and um, you'll find our Facebook handler page. Uh, the same for Twitter. And then our website, our, our address is www.ulbrich, U-L-B-R-I-C-H, B as in boy, G as in girl, C as in club, dot org, and you'll be able to find our website. And then there are there, there are tabs. So if you're looking to support the club, once you log on to our website, once you upload our website, you can click on the right side. There's a donate button. Uh, you'd be able to support us in that way. If you're looking to volunteer, there is also a, a, a drop down tab for volunteering at the club. So yeah, just look us up. 
support. We're, we're always looking for support. Well, uh, do you have anything else you'd like to tell us about uh, the Oak Boys and Girls, Girls Club? And uh, No, I mean, for us, uh, we're just looking forward to some sense of normalcy. Of course, we want to make sure we practice social distancing while we do so. And we're hopeful that we would be able to run a summer program. If anyone out there is looking to support the club, just look us up and uh, we, we would really appreciate it. Well, thanks a lot for taking the time to chat with me today, Carlos, and uh, give me a little bit or give us a, some perspective on how the pandemic is affecting Boys and Girls Clubs and the way in which you do your work, uh, your important work in supporting the youth of our communities. So thanks a lot. Thank you. I always, I've, I've always been appreciative to the organization. Um, you, you definitely know that there's, there's a need and, and you, you've always worked really hard to identify work-study students and or America Reads and volunteers. So I really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you. Thank you. That was Quinnipiac University's own Vince Contrucci interviewing Carlos Colazzo, the executive director of the Ulbricht Boys and Girls Club. The show is also hosted and produced by me, David DeRoche. I'm the director of community programming at Quinnipiac. I also did the music. To learn more about our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can subscribe to all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other apps. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at qupodcasts. And if you have a story you want to tell us or something you want us to talk about or comments on our episodes, you can find us on social media or you can shoot us an email. The address is qupodcasts at qu.edu. On the next episode of Isolated Together, I'll be speaking with Quinnipiac student Frank Scott about student life in the new world. We are isolated together, but we can get through this together. Thanks for listening. 